So if you haven't opened your Bibles, uh, please open them to Psalm 22. And let me make a confession. And for those of you that know me, this won't uh, be surprising. I am hard to get a hold of. (laughs) I I am not the best at returning phone calls and texts. I I typically have my alerts off, my notifications off. And and trust me, when I see your phone call, when I see your text, I mean to get back to you. I, I, I intend to get back to you, but, you know, I get distracted with life and sometimes I forget. And so I just want to tell you, don't take it personally. I try to tell people, hey, don't take it personally. I do like you, kind of. <laughs> it's just, it's more my issue not getting back to you. Now, some of you maybe say, hey, I've experienced you as someone who gets back really quickly. And I'm like, hey, that's growth. And maybe it's because I like you. <laughs> but, but here's a common joy we all experience. We like it when people respond to us. Like we like to be that feeling that we have when, when we are important enough that someone would respond to us when we sort of call out to them, when we try to get a hold of them. Conversely, there's a kind of pain and disappointment and a frustration that happens when people don't respond to us, when, when it seems like we're not important enough to respond to people. And as it goes with people, so it goes with God, right? We, we, we want God to respond to us. We want God to answer when we call. We want him not only to answer, we want him to answer with rescue and response to our prayers. But what happens when he doesn't? Well, what happens when you, you sort of look at your phone and you see a lot of outgoing calls, but not many incoming calls? Or you flip open your text messages and you see lots of blue or green, but not a lot of gray? Well, what do you do? when it seems like God is ghosting you. And that's the title of my sermon this morning, Ghosted by God. And and this is the tension that Psalm 22 brings us into. Here, right at the beginning of the psalm, David cries out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? God, where are you? Why why have you left? Day and night I call out to you, as he says in verses 2 and 3, but nothing. God, why are you ghosting me? These are strong words, especially when you consider the psalm that just came before. For those of you that were here last week, you remember in Psalm 21, it was a celebration of David's relationship with the king. It was the celebration that that God answers and loves and blesses the king. These are the things that David declares in Psalm 21. Lord, the king finds joy in your strength. How greatly he rejoices in your victory. You have given him his heart's desire and have not denied the request of his lips for you meet him with rich blessings. Like those are the words we like to hear, right? Joy in strength, rejoicing in victory, giving him his heart's desire. You've not turned away the request of my lips that you're pouring out rich blessing. Like we'll sing that song all day, right? But in Psalm 22, we find something different. We find disappointments, uncertainty, pain, wondering if God is even still around. And understand this switch from Psalm 21 to Psalm 22, this thematic switch is there on purpose. It's there to press us with this question. Is the God of Psalm 22 the same God of Psalm 21? Like, do we believe that the faithful God of Psalm 21 is still the faithful God of Psalm 22. Like when the wheels are falling off, when, when life is painful, when there are circumstances you can't control, is God still faithful? But look, it's easy. It's easy to talk about God's faithfulness when things are going well, 
But what happens when the wheels fall off? What happens when prayers aren't answered as we expected or circumstances don't go as we had hoped? Is God still faithful then? That's what Psalm 22 is pressing us into. It's it's anchoring us into a hope. It's giving voice to our pain. It's giving voice to our confusion. But it's doing that in order to anchor us into this important truth, which is the main point for us this morning, that God is faithful to rescue those who cry to him. God is faithful to rescue those who cry to him. And I want to look at this main point by considering three things from this psalm that that kind of bring this point to light. First, our cry for rescue. Second, our hope for rescue. And third, our praise for rescue. Now understand, Psalm 22 ratchets up the tension of David's pain for us. We see David crying out in the pain of his circumstances. You look at verses 11 through 18, he's using vivid language of wild animals to talk about the intensity of his circumstances. I'm surrounded by these giant bulls. I've got lions mauling and tearing at me. I've got dogs piercing my hands and my feet. I mean, David is crying out in great pain because of his circumstances. But it's not only that. He also cries out in the pain of unanswered prayer. God, I've been calling out to you. Where are you? But not only that, David also cries out in the pain of seeing God answer other people's prayers. Like he, he recognizes, he says, our ancestors trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. God, in the past, Israel cried out to you and you rescued them. You delivered them from the slavery in Egypt. They they, they trusted in you. They cried out to you, and you responded. They weren't disgraced. Why aren't you rescuing me? Ever been there? Ever ever said that to God? Ever cried out, God, it seems like you are rescuing everybody. You're delivering everybody else. You're setting everybody else free. You're answering everybody else's prayers. What about me? Ever voiced that pain? Or how about this one? Ever had your faith thrown back in your face? Ever had someone mock you and ridicule you because of your faith? Here's what David says in verses 7 and 8. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. David cries out, Lord, the very faith that I sought to comfort me has been turned into a weapon against me. They say, what good is your faith? Well, what good is it to follow the Lord? Where has that got you? Pain? Hardship? Confusion? A God who seems to have gone AWOL? Ever been there? Ever, ever heard those voices? Friends, Psalm 22 speaks directly into the intense pain. This is the depth of pain. This is like slipping and falling out of a tree and hitting every branch on the way down type of pain. And what do you do with that pain? What do you do when you experience that level of pain in your life? Like, look, we love to live in the confidence and the strength of Psalm 21. And sometimes we live there, right? Sometimes we do live there. But in the words of the great philosopher... Rocky Balboa, the world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You...
as hard as life. What do you do when life beats you to your knees? What do you do when circumstances are so painful that, that you experience what David is? Your, your heart melts like wax under the pain of your circumstances. Or you feel physically and spiritually and emotionally dried up like a baked clay. Well, what do you do when you're there, when you're living in that kind of pain? How, how do you respond? Do you ignore it? Do you bury it? Do, do you go to bitterness and anger? Do you try to fix things on your own? Or maybe you're one of these kinds of Christians. You, you, you practice what I like to call Zen Christianity. You sort of just float above the top of everything, like everything's okay, just kind of detached from pain and reality. What do you do with your pain? Do you cry out to God? Do you lament? Do, do you cry out like David cried out? Do, do you pour your heart out to God in the midst of your pain, in the midst of circumstances, in the midst of unanswered prayer? Do you bear your heart and your soul honestly before the Lord? Can you, can you lament? Do you lament? Pastor Mark Vrogop in his book, Dark Clouds and Deep Mercy, defines lament this way. Lament can be defined as a loud cry, a howl, or a passionate expression of grief. However, lament is more than sorrow or talking about sadness. It is more than walking through the stages of grief. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It not only gives voice to the pain you feel, but also anchors your heart to truths you believe or are, you tr or are trying to believe when dark clouds linger. In the pain and in the confusion and the uncertainty of life and circumstances, Psalm 22 calls us to lament and actually gives us the language of lament. Can you lament? See, here's what Psalm 22 calls us, to, calls us to recognize, that in the language of lament, God leads us to his faithfulness, not around pain, but through pain. He leads us to his faithfulness, not around disappointment, but through disappointments. Not around questions, but through questions. You see, lament is this crazy paradox. It's this paradox where you, you actually kind of step right up to the edge of despair, and you start crying out to the Lord and pouring out your heart, and you even start to fall forward into the darkness. But rather than despair swallowing you, guess what? You're caught by the arms of grace. God catches you and shows you he is a faithful God, faithful to rescue you. Lament takes us to this truth that God is faithful to rescue those who cry to him. Do you lament? Do you cry out? I mean, could it be, could, could it be that you're missing out on grace and comfort and hope, peace joy, even rescue itself, because rather than crying out to God and lamenting, you're ignoring it, you're stuffing it, you're running to bitterness and anger, you're trying to fix things yourself. Could it be that you're missing out on an experience of God's faithfulness in your life because you won't lament and cry out? And for those of you that like to practice Zen Christianity, let, let me ask you, do, do you think that the honest, 
messy gut level crying out of lament is not spiritual? Well, then let me ask you this. Are you too spiritual for the Psalms? Or are you more spiritual than Jesus who had Psalm 22 on his lips when he was on the cross? (laughs) Friends, lament is part of the Christian life. Lament is spiritual. And if you're in here this morning and you are lamenting, like you're practicing lament, like this is part of your life, let me tell you this. Scripture affirms those cries. Scripture encourages you in those cries. Keep crying out. Keep lamenting. Keep pouring out your heart. Why? Because God is faithful to rescue those who cry to him. But what keeps our lament and our cries from just being nothing more than emotional performance art? There's a lot of emotional performance art in our, in our world, right? Where the, the bigger and more dramatic the display of emotions, the, the better. That, that really the be-all and end-all is just to, to just sort of emotionally vomit all over the place, and that's, and call it a day. Like, that's the only point. What keeps lament from being that? Well, it's because we have hope. Like, like what keeps lament from just being emotional performance art is hope, our hope for rescue. David recognized this hope. He writes in verses 9 and 10, it was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. David recognizes his life belongs to God. David had hope because he recognized that God had made an unbreakable covenantal commitment to his people. That that based on God's covenantal love, that he would be faithful to those who belong to him. David knew that God's posture to those that belong to him is to rescue and redeem. David knew his history. David knew that God had rescued Noah from the flood. David knew that God had rescued Lot from Sodom. He knew that God had rescued Joseph from slavery and prison. He knew that God had rescued Israel from Egypt. David knew that he himself had experienced rescue from God. He had experienced God's faithfulness to save him from from Goliath and from Saul and from a host of other enemies. David knows that God is faithful to rescue those who cry to him. This is why he can declare, don't be far from me because distress is near. My strength, come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. You and I, we want something to hope in, right? Right? We want something to hope in, something that's going to sustain us in the midst of our pain, something that's going to uphold us in the midst of honest, gut-level, snot-coming-out-of-the-nose, lament and crying out to God. We want that kind of hope, right? What do you put your hope in? What do you put your hope in? Can, can your, the thing that you put your hope in, can it sustain you? Can it hold you? And even more, can it actually come through and rescue you and deliver you? You see, David, his hope was in a God who is faithful to rescue those who cried to him. It wasn't in himself. And if anybody had reason to put their hope in themselves, it was David. Like, Homeboy was like this combination of Elvis and Chuck Norris put together. Or, or for the millennials, The Rock and Justin Bieber. I mean, David was the warrior king of Israel. 
He had strength and power and wealth and resources and skill. He had everything that would say, put your trust in yourself to fix what's wrong. But that wasn't his hope. How about for you and me? Well, what do we put our hope in? Because if we're honest, here's what we need to come to grips with. We don't want hope, we want control. We don't want hope, we want control. Or we want hope on our own terms. I mean, why, why have hope when I can control my circumstances? Because I want to bypass the pain. I want to bypass the lament. I want to bypass the trust. Just give me control. And in that, like our hearts are exposed. Our hearts are exposed. Our pride and our selfishness and our self-sufficiency come to the surface. We want control, and we want control independent of God. We want to run our own lives, and we want to get what we want to get when we want to get it. We want to keep the bad out. We, we want to trust in our own power, our own intelligence, our own education, our own wealth, our own success. We want to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and be okay with that. We have to ask, where has that gotten us? What, what, what difference has that made? Like, have we actually fixed what's broken? Have we fixed what's broken in ourselves and what's, in, what's broken in our world? Can we fix the pain or keep the pain away? No. And if we're really honest, like soul level, like the kind of honesty that you, you, you barely go to but, but need to go to, if we're that level of honest, we'd admit we're part of the problem. Like when we look at what's broken in, in the world, we're part of the problem. We can't fix what's broken because we are part of the problem. Friends, we have to have something greater to put our hope in than ourselves greater than our ability to fix what's wrong. David looked back at the faithfulness of God and put his hope there. And if David had reason to put his hope in the faithfulness of God, we have all the more reason because the faithfulness that David knew was just a picture. Well, it was just a foretaste of the greater faithfulness God put on display through Jesus Christ. And you see, this is the beautiful reality of the gospel, the, the beautiful declaration of God's faithfulness that God, because he is faithful, sends Jesus into our sin-cursed, broken world. And because Jesus is faithful, he willingly comes and enters into our pain and our suffering and our brokenness. And even though Jesus perfectly loved and served, that he spoke life and brought healing and hope, he was rejected and abandoned by his friends. He was lied about and he was mocked, and he was strung up on a Roman cross and cruelly crucified by evil men. And while he, while he was on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And God doesn't answer. Doesn't answer. Doesn't rescue Jesus from the cross. He hands Jesus over to his mockers and his executioners. Why? to rescue you, <laughs> to rescue you because God is faithful to rescue those who cry out to him. 
Jesus took the depth of human pain and suffering. He experienced all of the pain of Psalm 22 to the nth degree. He stood in our place and took our judgment and the abandonment that you and I deserve. Why? To rescue us. But it doesn't end there. Though God doesn't rescue Jesus from the cross, though he allows Jesus to be crucified and killed, he doesn't abandon Jesus to the grave. God is faithful to rescue those who cry out to him. And on the third day, God rescues Jesus. He resurrects him in victory over sin and death and hell, saving him and showing that those who put their trust in God, God is faithful to rescue. And friends, here's the promise of the gospel. The promise of the gospel is that all who turn from their sin, turn from their pride, turn from hoping in themselves, are made beloved and sons of daughters through Jesus Christ. And if you are a beloved son or daughter through Jesus Christ, here's the hope that you have. God rescues those who cry to him. Are you crying out to God? Do you have this hope? Because if you have this hope, you can cry out to God. If you have this hope, you can keep crying out to God even when it doesn't seem like he's answering. Because here's the thing. God is faithful to rescue, but sometimes it takes a minute. God is faithful to rescue, but sometimes it takes a minute. Noah was in the ark for 40 days and 40 nights. Joseph was in slavery in prison for 13 years. Israel was in slavery for 400 years. Jesus was in the grave for three days. God is faithful to rescue, but sometimes it takes a minute. I wonder how long have you been waiting? How long have you been crying out? How long have you been asking God to rescue, to, to deliver you, to intervene in your circumstances? You know, if you ask the question, why does God wait? Here's the best I can tell you. I don't know. God in his wisdom has his purposes. But here's what I can tell you with confidence. If you are in Jesus Christ, whatever else God is doing by, by waiting, here's what he's not doing. He's not ghosting you. If you are in Jesus Christ, he isn't ghosting you. The God who sent Jesus into our broken world to be our deliverance from sin, to take our place, to rise victoriously, to set us free from sin and death, is not ghosting you now. David looked back, saw the faithfulness of God, and he trusted in the Lord enough, put his hope in the Lord enough to cry out, you who are in pain, you who are experiencing hard circumstances, look back to the faithfulness of God to you through Jesus Christ and cry out in hope. Because friends, if David had reason to hope, we have all the more. Because greater than parting a sea is emptying a tomb. Greater than overthrowing armies is overthrowing sin and death. How do I know that God isn't ghosting you? Because the tomb is empty. Now, how do I know that God is at work and he will be faithful to you? Because the tomb is empty. So cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord in hope. Cry out to the Lord with all that you are. Be honest. Be, be gut level honest with him. Cry out in pain. Cry out in question. Even if it takes a minute for your rescue to come. Even if your, your prayers aren't being answered, but everybody else's are. Even if you're being mocked for your faith, even if people are calling you to question your faith, cry out to God. Friends, the tomb is empty. God is faithful 
to rescue those who cry to him. And here is what's incredible about this. When we cry for rescue from a place of hope, God powerfully uses our praise. God powerfully uses our praise for rescue in ways that I think you and I sometimes can underestimate. David says in verse 22, you answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. David celebrates his rescue. He's he's celebrating that God actually listened. He answered. And so he begins praising God, and then he calls the rest of God's people. Hey, I want you to praise God with me. In verse 23, he says, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. Why? Because as he says in verse 24, God has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He he did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. Whatever else was going on, God had not ghosted David. God is faithful to rescue those who cry to him, and that is worthy of our praise. And so David says, join me in praising the Lord. And and his praise becomes infectious. And notice what happens when the the praise of God's people becomes infectious. David says, I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. When David's praise becomes infectious, when it begins to spread among the people of God, Here's what happens. Vows are fulfilled. The humble are satisfied by God. People begin seeking the Lord. When when the faithfulness of God is praised among the people, it transforms the people into faithful people. When we praise God for his faithfulness, we are transformed as the faithful people of God. Look, here's what we need to understand. God's faithfulness to you in the midst of your pain is not just about you. It's not just about what you're going through. It's, just, it's not just about God's power in your life. God is actually using his faithfulness in your life to speak to other people. Like through your crying out to the Lord in laments, through your putting your hope in him, through you praising God for the rescue that is in Jesus Christ, God is making you a blessed messenger of this truth that he doesn't despise the afflicted. He doesn't ignore the cry of those who call out to him. He, he, he makes you a messenger of the truth that God is faithful to save those who, re- those who call out to him. And I know that might seem strange. It, it might seem strange that in, in the midst of your messy lament, teetering on the edge of despair, barely able to be, hold it together, wondering where God is, that he's using you to strengthen other people's faith. It seems counterintuitive. How could it be that when my faith is falling apart, I could actually be strengthening someone else's faith? Friends, this is the power of God in your life. This is what happens when we cry out to God in the deepest of pain, holding on to the hope that he rescues those who call out to him. God actually strengthens the faith of his people, and he's going to use you. Friends, your your pain doesn't make you a pariah to God's people. Rather, it brings the praise of God's people. That is the power of our praise. And so let us cry out to God. 
Let us lament in front of one another that we may encourage one another and strengthen one another in this truth that God rescues those who call out to him. And finally, recognize this. That praise is not just for the people of God. It's not just for the church. It's actually for the world. Like our world has a love affair with, try, with solutions and trying to fix what's broken in this world. And it doesn't work. At best, it band-aids things over. At worst, it makes the problem worse. Our world needs a new set of eyes. It needs new hearts. And your hopeful lament, your praising God for the rescue that is through Jesus Christ, powerfully declares to this world that God is faithful to rescue those who cry to him as you cry out to the Lord as you put your hope in him in the midst of the deepest pain, as you praise God in front of other people, people are going to see and they're going to believe. Imagine that. Through your laments, through your crying out, people are going to see the power and the faithfulness of God and they're going to believe. Here's what David says in verses 27 and 28. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. How did that happen? By praising God for his faithfulness to rescue All the families of the nations will bow down before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations through your praise, through our praise. Those who once mocked will come to believe. Through your praise, through my praise, through our praise. Those who once doubted, those who once kind of called into question your faith, those who who said, why would you ever believe in a God, are going to come to this place where they're praising God for his faithfulness. Can you imagine that? That through your lament, through your mess, through holding on by a string to the faithfulness of God, he's going to use you to bring other people to know him. This is the power of our praise. This is the power of declaring to the world that God is faithful to rescue those who call to him. And so church... Let's not hide our pain from the world. Let's not hide our lament from the world. Rather, let us openly cry out to the God, cry out to God. Let others see our cry. Let others see our lament. Let others see our hope that God, that we have, that God rescues through Jesus Christ. Let others see the power of God in our lives to rescue us in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our difficult circumstances. Let him hear us praise God's faithfulness through Jesus Christ. We have a God that doesn't ghost us, but a God who is faithful to rescue those who cry to him. Amen? Let's pray.